Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Just lost their closer. 
And their bullpen, listen, you talking about David Robinson all you want. I know David Robinson. He is he can close, but David Robinson can also blow up on you. Uh, Brooks Raley is a guy who, listen, there's no way in the world I'm depending on him if I'm talking about winning the World Series. And then you got the WBC aspect of it all and how he got hurt, which is the celebration after the game. And and the thing is, it wasn't an over-the-top celebration. It's a celebration you see pretty much all the time, which is guys just stand there and they in a circle and they jump up and down. That's it. It's not the one where they used to beat each other up and guys is going crazy at home plate. Uh, that was believed when Kendrys Morales years ago, um, who was a budding all-star for the uh, Cali- I think at that point the California Angels had hit a walk off. They were jumping up and down on home plate, and he's his he landed wrong on home plate, tore his leg up, and was never the same. Ruined his career. Um, Diaz tore his patella tendon. Then in the middle of the field on the grass, jumping up and down, and he blew his knee. It's it's sad for him, but now you're going to see a lot of takes about people saying, oh, see, and WCBC and these celebrations. Listen, a celebration like that, the Mets have done many, many times during the season. So they're going to say, oh, well, you know, they gave him a goal before they gave him the contract, so it's nothing wrong with his knee. That could have happened at any point in time if he just jumped up and down. Really, they jumped up and down four times, and on the fourth one, his knee blew. So don't tell me that that's the cause of it, but this is why the WBC is so controversial, because you can't really do a tournament like this in baseball. You can't. When are you going to do it? After the season when guys' bodies are beat up. Before the season when they have to ramp up before their bodies are ready. Somebody's going to lose an important player. I like the WBC. I think the WBC is necessary, but I think they really have to to think about the fact that maybe you only – they have to think about the fact that you can't let major leaguers participate in this anymore. You can't. Maybe it's just minor leaguers, but you cannot let major leaguers participate in this anymore. And And it's sad because I think the WBC is necessary – but you literally just had a team with World Series aspirations lose their best pitcher out of their bullpen. It's going to impact them. This is going to affect the Mets, and this may keep them from getting to the World Series. What do you think, Mike? Well, I, so I agree with you on part of what you just said and disagree on another part. And I agree with you that this is a huge, huge loss for the Mets this may affect them and keep them from reaching the World Series. I'm not sure if this team is good enough to make a World Series anyway, but they sure as hell are not without Diaz on the, in the back of that bullpen, right? So, um, uh, you know, they're going to have – they're going to have an uphill climb even trying to win that division, I think. It was already going to be tough, but all you got to do is kind of get in the playoffs to at least have a shot. I do think that in general, Verlander is more healthy than Negrom at the top of that rotation, and I, you know, I, I like the pieces that they have. But this is uh, this is definitely unfortunate, and I, I also agree with you that I, I honestly don't think you can blame the WBC for this. I think this could have happened 
uh, after just a regular major league game, jumping up and down, happy to say your team came back. You put up, (laughs) you put up, you know, four runs in the top of the ninth to come back from being down by three, and then he comes out and closes it against a division rival or something like that, or against the Yankees. This could have happened then. I don't, I don't think that you can stop. I, I, I think the. You don't have it as an Olympic sport. Um, and so I do think that having a world stage like this, even if it's not huge in the United States, yet even though the United States won the last one and even though there are some major league players that didn't want to play, the truth of the matter is some of these Latino guys, Venezuelans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, some of these guys, you got to think, they come from countries that do not shine on the Olympic stages. You're not seeing them in the top two or three in medal counts in any of those Olympics. Uh, Very rarely are you seeing one of these teams make a run in soccer. They're not Argentina. They're not Brazil. You're not really seeing either one of these teams make a run, uh, you know what I mean, in the World Cup on soccer. So this is one of the few opportunities in the sports world for these countries to, you know, be a player on a worldwide stage. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of there are a lot of Latino ball players, and and good Latino ball players, not fringe major leaguers, guys like Jose Altuve and Ronald Acuna and uh, Rafael Devers and other guys, and even guys that have won World Series titles that ha- that say that to them, being able to represent their country is an even bigger deal than the World Series to them. Does that mean they don't care about yeah, major no. league baseball? No. It just means that they they have a lot of pride in where they come from, and they want to represent uh, their country. So I don't think that you can get rid of the classic. I also don't think that you can uh, – I, I think you're going to have a revolt on your hands if you try to do it without major leaguers. So I don't think that you could do that either, right? So I think what I think – maybe should be considered. I was talking about this with some people the other day. If you think about it, like, um, you will see interruptions at times or with, like, the NHL for the Olympics. I think what they should do is once every four years, I think you skip the All-Star game. And I think you okay. have a two week I think you have maybe a two week break. You can make up for this, uh, either by starting the season a few days early and running a couple of days late or something. Uh maybe a couple of double hitters. Maybe you play one fifty four that year, I don't know. But I think you play it in the regular season when guys are in top form in the middle of the season. The Japan leagues, the South Korean leagues, the other leagues are in top form, your guys are in tip top shape. And what you would see is a lot of major leaguers still to play and not to lose their timing would play in this thing. And maybe, maybe, maybe. And so you you split off. You do your pool play in the first couple, three or four days, and then you come back and you do your quarterfinals that weekend. You do your championship the second week. Give it three or four days for people to kind of rest. 
that have been in it and come back. I, I think you do it in the middle of the regular season. I think you do it in, like, middle of July. And then restart, like, say you take the All-Star break around the 14th of July and you restart August 1st or around the 10th and you restart, like, the 25th or something. Um, and so I think I would consider I would consider something like that. But, but see, now you're going not, up right into the – the trade deadline, but see, now you're getting into the trade deadline. So now you got guys playing, you're talking about trading them. And okay, let's say for the sake of argument, because I do agree with you that, and and again, I'm not blaming the WBC. I'm just saying that if you think about 162 games, it's really unwieldy, but okay. So we do it then. The the, the trade deadline is July 31st. You're not anymore. The trade deadline. Huh? They pushed it back, I think, last year to like the 15th of August or something, didn't they? No, 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 it's July 31st. That's it, because there's only one trade deadline now. They don't have the waiver deal anymore. So now let's say you're, you're getting ready to trade a, uh, a um, let, okay, let's say a Mike Trout, right? Somebody's getting ready to trade him, but he's playing and he gets hurt. Now you can't trade him. So the problem is that no matter when you do this, it's unwieldy. It's it's but you could is going you, to you could is going to impact somebody unfortunately. You could argue though that the guy could get hurt playing a regular season game on your watch as well. You know what I'm saying? I know. I, I, I do. Yeah. I do think either you push the trade deadline back during that season, or maybe you do it. Maybe you do it the first two weeks of July. So then people that aren't playing can go spend the 4th of July with their families if they want to. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Maybe. I, yeah. I do see what you're saying. Like, it would be tough to come back and or be off and have the trade deadline being at a time when you don't play. So, I, But I think that's something that can be worked out. I just think that – so I love Major League Baseball. I love my team, right? And I enjoy yeah. seeing the best of the best play this sport. Uh, but I, I just think that we're seeing growth in this game. I understand that we had a lot of uh, second generation or whatever represent in some countries, and that's something that needs to continue to grow out. But we didn't see any teams from Europe really represented other than one Italy team in the past. So we're starting to see more growth and see more teams get involved and I do think that at the end of the day, for the game of baseball, having a global showcase where countries are represented, I think is good for the growth of the game. I, I agree with you. I'm just trying to figure out a way to do it where you're not going to screw somebody's chances of winning. You know what I'm saying? Or cause some guy, um, let's say Ed, this was Edwin Diaz's uh, free agent season, right? This is his season before getting ready to go into free agency. You think he's getting a contract after this? It's just it's unfortunate that it's going to negatively impact somebody or some team. But when you think about 162 games, there's really no good time to do it. Part of it. There's really no good time to do it. What do you do? Before the season, middle of the season, after the season, you can find a bunch of reasons to say no. Um, I just hope that people don't blame the WBC for this because, like we both said, he could have got hurt the first week in, 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 in June, you know, doing the same exact thing, standing there, jumping up and down in the grass. It's just, 
it's unfortunate because what it's going to do is going to give those people who, who don't want the WBC, it's going to give them more ammunition now to say, see, this is why you shouldn't have it. That's why I think that's why I think you do it in the middle of the season. And I think one of the ways I, – I, I honestly do not think that the standings are going to be adversely affected. I mean, they, they can be a little bit, but if we – once every four years, play a 154-game regular season. It's not going to be the end of the world. Still plenty of baseball games, I feel like. So Yeah, that's true. So to win this thing, whoever wins is going to play seven games. None of the teams – so we've got eight teams left. So all those teams uh, – the other teams that were in there played four. So four more teams are going to play five, and then four team four more teams will uh, will play six, and then only two teams will play seven. So if you do that, that's really not much more. If you were to cut the regular season to one fifty four, and you do the World Baseball Classic, then you're not asking guys to play really many any more games than what you would play in a regular season in the first place. So yeah, that, I, no, no, I, I get, you, yeah, I get you there. So I, I think you have to do something like that. But I, and I, I will say this: it's not mandatory. These guys chose to compete, and a lot of these guys really, really wanted to, you know, compete for their countries. Um, but I will say this: I, I want to see if they're going to do this. I want to see teams be able to have their best. You know, you look at all the American-born pitchers that could be on this staff, and the best these guys could come up with as far as starters are Adam Wainwright, Lance Lynn, um, Merrill Kelly, and Nick Martinez and Brady Singer. Well, because you have a lot of teams who the teams have the right to say no. I'm not going to let this guy play. And this is what I think is going to cause even more teams to say no now to their best players going. Well, and and I really think that's sad because, as you said earlier, and I agree, I, I had a feeling that you and I were going to have a conversation about this tonight. Uh, <laughs> but I, I really think that's sad because it's not like he was misused and got hurt. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And mm-hmm. with it being preseason, there is an emphasis on pitch count. So, like, I think, like, in the first round, pitchers couldn't throw more than 65 pitches or something. Um, so they are trying to do things to take care of these guys, um, you know, before the regular season. And so, like I said, that's why I think if you were to do it in the middle of the year, then you wouldn't have quite as many restrictions and then if you have knowledgeable baseball people managing and and they're communicating, then I I think you can actually do this in such a way that these guys can just kind of stay on their regular rotation. So even if you don't if you don't pitch fully, well you can still get some work in the bullpen to make sure that you know your arm stays on schedule or whatever. Um, and then, I mean, who knows? Like you, we may find out that if they were to do it in the regular season, because uh, Listen, that 162 games is a grind, right? Yeah, and it is. It is. So, for example, Dominican team's gone now. But you might find out if it were in the regular season, maybe guys 
maybe they don't get eliminated, but even if they did, maybe by the time you come back. So in this same pool, you had Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and Puerto Rico. In my opinion, by far the toughest of the four pools, right? So either way, one of these teams is going to be eliminated, and there's several major league players on this team, everyday position players, uh, major league pitchers, there's several major league players on all three of these teams, right? So maybe oh, you yeah. find out, though, that for this team that gets eliminated and they have that extra week break in there, maybe some of these guys actually come back a little fresher than they would maybe, be yeah. in a regular yeah, grind of a regular true. season. So, that you know true. what I'm saying, Ty? It may not be all bad. And even if you won this thing, if you play eight games over the course of two weeks or seven games over the course of two weeks to win this thing, that's different from play, playing as many as 12 to 14 games in the regular season. Right? I mean, yeah, and you, you can even very do a thing. With... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you have very few weeks where you play five. You're usually playing six, sometimes seven games over the course of a week in the regular season. So, uh, I think over the course of 180 days, they have a, like a total of 18 off days. So you're talking 18 off days over 24 weeks. So I'm going to say most of these teams over a two-week run in the regular season are playing 12 to 13 games. And so yeah, yeah. And then, you could be cutting you could be cutting that number in half for all but two teams, and then even the teams that have to play all the way through it. You could do, you know what I mean? And maybe if it gets big enough, maybe you could do one set of qualifiers um, in the spring, or maybe you could do it a a different way. But I I feel like there's a way to dwindle this thing down and run this thing during the regular season. And like I said, maybe some of these players with that little extra break in the middle come back a little fresher for for the stretch run for the last two months. Um. So, yes. so to me, that could be a thing. Yeah, no, I I like that idea. I'm sorry, I'm watching Ranger games, so if you hear me indiscriminately yell out, you don't know why. Um, I got you. <laughs> but um, the other thing I was thinking when you were talking about that is the guys that do play, let's say, of the guys that go to the championship, right? When they come back, if you got a full squad and a full rested team, you could even afford to give them three days off, okay? The guys that go to the championship game, when they come back, they get three days, you know, especially if they're a pitcher, because if there's a pitcher, you're going to give them a week anyway when they get back. For a position player, you get three days. For a pitcher, you get a week. Right, or maybe even depending on how they feel and whatever else. But, I mean, you know, over the course of a regular season, there's a few guys that didn't do this, but over the course of regular season, especially for some guys, uh, you may play a bench guy in his place, bring him in as a pinch hitter if you really need him on a day game after a night game to give a guy a little break mm-hmm. and something's nagging him a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So, right, uh, right. you know, maybe you could do some things like that. And now you have the DH in both leagues, right? So you have the ability to say, uh, take a National League guy, like say Pete Alonzo, for example, and say, you know what? We're not going to make you play first for a couple of days. You can just DH and work your way back, right? So yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I feel like there are some ways to do and make it work. But real quick, like, uh, if you got anything else to say about that piece of it, and I want to go ahead and kind of highlight what has happened 
in this tournament. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So Japan, I believe, beat Italy today. I didn't see the final because I'll be honest with you, it was at 6 o'clock in the morning and I had to get up and go to work. But I believe that Japan <laughs> beat Italy today uh, to qualify uh-huh. for the yeah. um, semifinals. So, yeah. so out of that tough pool that we just talked about a minute ago, uh, you know, the, the favorite in this whole tournament was the Dominican Republic. Um, they lose right. to Puerto Rico last night. We talked about the unfortunate circumstances in the aftermath of that game. But they lose to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico uh, only loses once to Venezuela. Venezuela goes through this bracket undefeated, really impressive by Venezuela. Mm-hmm. So they get the United States, who finished second in their group. They got trounced by Mexico. Mexico lost one as well, but because of the head-to-head, they finished first. The United States finishes second. So Venezuela and the United States play. The winner of that game gets Cuba in one of two semifinals. And then Mexico has to play Puerto Rico on the other half. And the winner of that game gets Japan in the semifinals. So these games are this weekend. Um, I think the semis are Monday and the championship Tuesday. Mm. I believe is. I'm gonna tell you what USA Cuba, USA Cuba, listen is still a thing. It's still a thing. That would be wow. But listen, people don't realize how many good players from Venezuela there are in the major leagues now. A lot more than people would realize. Um, They have really, really come up. Um, Honestly, I think Japan is the favorite. I think Japan is going to win. Um, and not not because of Otani, but because people don't realize how good the baseball is in Japan. But yeah, that those are some really good matchups coming up. Some really good matchups. That Venezuela team was good enough that David Peralta hit ninth uh, for that team. Um, but you got you got some real legit major league talent, just to name a few: Eugenio Suarez, Jose Altuve, Ronald Acuna. Um, some legit, uh, you know big-time major league ball players, and they have um, several several good major league arms um, in that rotation as well. So Venezuela is really going to be heard from, and uh, there's a, from the Caribbean World Series and all that, there's big rivalries mm-hmm. with Venezuela and Cuba as well. So whoever Cuba yeah. is going to play uh, in the semifinals, uh, they're bringing smoke for Cuba. So light yes. the cigars. Yes, they are. Uh, they're bringing yes, smoke. They are. Uh, and uh, and listen, the uh, the Mexico Puerto Rico winner is not going to be a cakewalk for Japan. I'm curious to see. Um, you know, Japan has three guys, at least three, that can really, really bring it. They got a uh, a young kid. He's only like 21 years old. He's filthy, filthy, filthy. Uh, yeah, he's the next they, one. They're going to start talking about coming over. I know the kid you're talking about. I can't call his name, but he's the next one they're talking about coming over. Yeah, so they've got the, – Japan's got a lot of talent. But, you know, in baseball, you're only as good as your next day starting pitcher in a lot of ways. Um, I think all yeah. these clubs can hit. Um, I, be, I believe the I believe the United States can slug with anybody. 
especially now that they moved Tim Anderson to second base and then so did uh, Trey Turner at short and Tim Anderson at second, Arenado and Goldschmidt and Alonzo and Trout and, uh, you know, listen, this Mookie Betts in that outfield. Uh, that, mm-hmm. That's a good offense uh, for sure. So uh, looking to see how this uh, continues to pan out. Uh, the, the question is, can the U.S. pitch enough? They've got a lot of good arms in the pen. But can they pitch enough? Venezuela is going to bring it. Um, and so I think that's going to be a primetime game on Fox. I think I, I thought it was originally scheduled for Friday. Somebody told me last night that it was moved to Saturday. So uh, keep an eye out for that on your on – your, uh, say that again. I said it probably was. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I heard we'll have it was to listen mo- to John Smoke. That's the only downside. We'll have to listen to that clown John Smoke. <laughs> That's funny. I actually learned something from Smoltz the other day uh, watching him. But, of course, I'm a Smoltz fan. Uh, but well, no, he – listen, the guy's very knowledgeable. It's just – he irritates you because he, he'll beat the point to death is the thing. <laughs> he just won't let some things go. So, But, no, he's really knowledgeable. I like John Smoltz. I think he's a really smart guy. He just doesn't understand when to let the point go. Yeah, and, and, you know, I like to think, and, okay, maybe I'm a smultipologist in some way, but I like to think that he'll grow into the role if he's got some good producers and some people that, you know, can kind of coach him along the way. I still prefer Smoltz, even though the, the guy that I'm about to mention died recently, God rest his soul, um, I still prefer Smoltz over Tim McCarver. Oh, God, yes. I, listen, I've hated Tim McCarver literally um, as an announcer. As an announcer, I've hated Tim McCarver forever. Um, I love Tim McCarver, the ball player. I'm old enough to remember when Tim McCarver was actually a baseball player. I'm old enough to remember that. Um, I saw Tim McCarver play. He was a he was a really good defensive catcher. Now, when he was a good hitter was before I got to see him play, but McCarver was a good ball player. I just couldn't stand him as an announcer. Man, there has been some brackets blown up here in this uh, in this wrestling tournament too. <laughs> yeah. The four and five seeds are are gone. The four seed is just wrestling in a wrestle back at one sixty five, which is the toughest weight class. But you got a twenty nine seed in the quarters tomorrow. Uh, the two guys that have a chance to be four timers though have both advanced past the uh past their second round match tonight. So they'll be on in the semifinals in the morning, uh, or I guess after on the East Coast, uh, noon on ESPNU and then the semis are tomorrow night on ESPN. So uh, definitely worth watching, but just uh, a lot of fun. Penn State's ahead, like we kind of expected, uh, but that's what's going on there. Uh, yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I will say, if anybody ever listens to this, or uh, if anybody listens that knows anybody from them, uh, tell these uh, Fox people to get in uh, Smoltz's ear and help him realize when to let things go. Because he does have a lot of knowledge and bring knowledge to the game. Uh, and like I said, uh, I can honestly say that most times that I watch him, now I usually try to listen to radio feeds because I still think baseball is a very good sport for radio. Um, but I believe that I have – every time I've watched Smoltz in the last few times I've watched, uh, I've learned something from him. So that's always uh, that's always good to learn something. I, and I thought about you know the conversation we had about uh, learning things from announcers uh, on television. So 
you know, that's going to be uh, – I thought they were playing Friday, and I'll be honest with you, I think it's going to hurt the, the United States more than it will Venezuela if they don't play Friday because if they were going to go Friday, Sunday, and Tuesday, you would have had an off day in between every game. So you would have had a chance to bring a lot of your relievers back again, you know, and at least two or in some cases all three of those games since you had the off day in between if you weren't going – you know, more than an inning for those guys. But right. if you're playing two out of three, if you're playing uh, three games in four days, then you're going to have to get real creative with the bullpen and how you work those pitchers. And I think that's going to – just looking at the depth of these pitching staffs, I think the United States is going to kind of pay the price for that. I don't know if it's going to be in this next round. Um, and it may not be until they get to the finals. But I, I predict if the U.S. makes the finals – um, against Japan or even Puerto Rico, I predict that uh, they may be out of arms and it might be an ugly championship game. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. We'll we'll see what happens, but I I it's going to be fun either way. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so I want to jump and ask you. I asked a guy affiliated with Major League Baseball this last night. And he told me one thing, and I just want to hear your take. I know that you got some guys beat up in Yankee camp. Uh, Rodon's already going to be out for a little while. Uh, Harrison Bader banged up. What are your predictions on whether or not we could see Jason Dominguez in the major leagues this year? I will tell you that Jason Dominguez should be the starting center fielder for the Yankees. And I will tell you that he would then never give that position up. I believe that Brian Cashman is so insistent on proving that he was right about Aaron Hicks that Jason Dominguez is not going to be in the major leagues this season. And it's unfortunate. Uh, because you, now they're talking about, well, we're going to play Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. We're going to give him time in center field. Why? Why? You have your center fielder in camp. And what I keep hearing is, well, he's only 20. Well, he's never played above double A. Well, he hasn't done this. And all he's done is show you that he is ready to handle major league pitching. You say, well, because of the home runs? No, it's not because of the home runs. It's because of how he takes his at-bats. If you pay attention to how someone takes at-bats, that tells you way more than whether or not they even, whether or not they even get hits. His yeah. pitch recognition is well beyond his years, well beyond his years. He is taking pitches that, that, that you see major leaguers not taking. Borderline pitches, he's saying, I'm not hitting it. I'm not swinging at that because I can't hit it anyway. If you call it a strike, you call it a strike. I'm not swinging at it. That's pitch recognition. That's controlling That's the strike not- zone. That's something they only see a few major league guys do, like Juan Soto, Luis Arias, who actually, you know, just traded to the Marlins. Right. He's another guy. Now, he's very demonstrative at the plate. He's like, no, I don't want that. Or he'll shake his head at it or whatever. But um, there there are very few guys, even amongst major league veterans, that have that kind of plate discipline. Right. And it's – they, everyone is so – they keep trying to tell me that Volpe is the best. 
Volpe is not the best Yankee prospect. It's Jason Dominguez. It's Jason Dominguez, hands down. He's a 5-2 player. But, no, I don't think we're going to see Dominguez. He should be the Yankee starting center fielder, especially since Bader's hurt. That gives you the opportunity to play him now because you can put him in center field. You're going to play judge in left at Yankee Stadium and Stanton in right. Now, if you still want to keep Hicks on the roster, Hicks now becomes your fourth outfielder, although I think Hicks shouldn't even be on the roster personally after what he did a few games ago where he gave up on the ball and they didn't even run hard after it, which we saw him do last season. But Jason Dominguez should be, but I think the Yankees are so insistent on proving they're right about Aaron Hicks that Dominguez won't see the field this year. And I think it's extremely unfortunate because I personally believe that Jason Dominguez is going to be the closest thing we've seen to Miguel Cabrera's, a young, the young Miguel Cabrera, since Miguel Cabrera. That's how good I think that kid's going to be. Yeah, so I asked this question to a guy who works for MLB, and his comment to me was, I think he comes up next year or maybe at the very end of the season, and I said, well, what do you think would have to happen for him to come up this season? He said he would have to get sent down and start the season and just absolutely dominate and just obliterate the pitching. I mean, he would have to do so much that they just can't ignore him anymore. And I personally asked about that because I got a couple of uh, – I got one money league in fantasy uh, baseball that we keep guys every year. And I'm in like the last two or three rounds of that draft where you can grab, you know, prospects if you want. But mm-hmm. you definitely don't want to grab a guy if he's not going to make it up because I think if he gets to the major leagues, I think that he's probably – a guy that has enough talent that he could be one of my four keepers in the future. You know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's like, okay, do I run the risk and take him at least and see what happens? Because, uh, you know, I can make up for a 25th round draft pick somewhere, somewhere, somewhere right? Like, but <laughs> there, there's part of me that wonders. But that's, that's everything I'm hearing about him. And I think Anthony Rope probably does come up this year at some point. Um, I don't so know Volpe's when. Volpe's breaking camp with the team. Volpe's breaking camp with okay. the team. What are yeah, your thoughts he, on uh... – Volpe – Huh? Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead go about Volpe first. No, I was going to say Volpe is going to play. Volpe is going to be on the opening day roster. So, uh, Peraza, the shortstop kid um, – but they say he's going to start at shortstop. In a, in a very small sample size last year, looked like he had a little pop in his back, stole a few bases. Um, can this kid be? Can this kid hold down the uh, the shortstop position for the Yankees this year? Yes, but here's the rub with this: Cashman, for whatever reason, doesn't want to give up on doesn't want to give up Gleyber Torres. The problem is the problem is actually DJ LeMayhew, believe it or not. The problem is DJ LeMayhew. If you did not have DJ LeMayhew, you could keep Glaber Torres. But because you have LeMayhew, you have to get rid of Glaber Torres because Volpe is a second baseman. Volpe's not a shortstop. He's a second baseman. Peraza is the better shortstop. He has more range. He's smooth. He's the better shortstop. And he's going to hit just fine. Volpe will probably give you more sizzle 
Peraza is going to be the stake, where he's just going to be steady. And every year he's going to be in a conversation, well, he should make the also team. Yeah, but this guy's hit more home runs, or this guy's got a higher average. But Peraza is going to be that guy who's going to be your shortstop for the next 15 years. And one day you look up and he's got about 2,500 hits and so on and so on. Volpe's the guy who's going to give you major splashes, major splashes. And they're going to be, oh, and then you're going to hear all the Derek Jeter nonsense, which missed me with all of that. Gleyber Torres is not a versatile player. DJ Lemieux, who can play first, second, third, and short. Isaiah Kainafalefa can play second, third, short catcher. Oswaldo Cabrera can play first, second, third, short, left, right, and center. So you have to keep those three. Where's Gleyber Torres playing? You say, well, put him at the DH. Well, if you're going to keep Aaron Hicks on the roster, and you're going to keep, say, Willie Calhoun or one of those clowns um, because you're going to put Hicks in center field. Now, who's your DH? It's Giancarlo Stanton because the Yankees refused to play him in the outfield where he won an MVP. He'll be hurt by the end of April, though. Say again? He'll probably be hurt by the end of April. No, he won't. The reason Stanton's been getting hurt with the Yankees is because they don't play him in the field. He won an MVP playing the outfield. They came here and said, go stand over there for three hours in between all your at-bats. An hour in between your at-bats. Giancarlo Stanton is a guy with tight muscle groups. Look at his body type. He's not a guy who you want to allow to do nothing and then say, hey, quick twitch. You want him playing so that his muscle groups stay limber so he can stay healthier. He wasn't missing games with the Marlins, except when he got hit in the face with a ball. Yeah, I the got reason you. That, he's that, missed games with the Yankees is because they turned him into half a player. When yeah, he he's plays, not Big Poppy. Yeah, when he plays, he actually plays more games in a season when they put him in the outfield than he does when he's strictly a DH. But the Yankees analytics people have screwed that up. So you've turned John Carlos Stanton into half a baseball player. So unless the Yankees – now the Yankees are going to have to decide who they're going to trade. They either got to trade Peraza or they got to trade Torres. My money's on them trading Peraza, which I say is going to be a huge mistake because you're going to find out that Volpe's not really a shortstop. And now you got another situation where you got a, a, a guy at shortstop who should be a second baseman, but you got the guy at second base who can't play shortstop as well. So well, the smart thing to do is trade Gleyber Torres for a pitcher. You trade Torres. You start Volpe at second. You start Peraza at short. And then you decide if you want to play LeMahieu at third or first and just fill him in around DH whatever. That's the smart play. I don't think LeMahieu, that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to – go ahead. LeMahieu is decent at first, second, and third, too. Like, he can hold his own his own in the infield at each of those mm-hmm. three positions. And he's – DJ LeMahieu, uh, now I understand last year he had some health issues and whatever else, and I know he's getting a little bit older. But DJ LeMahieu is a professional hitter. Uh, he went to LSU, by the yes. way. He's from Michigan, but he went to LSU. But DJ LeMahieu is a professional hitter. And he's a – 
he's a really laid back guy. Like he, it doesn't really seem to get too high or too low. So I think when you look at all this youth coming up in this Yankees organization, I know you got Judge as the captain now, and I know you have you know a few veterans in that clubhouse. But I feel like DJ LeMahieu is a very good clubhouse guy and a veteran influence in that clubhouse. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And that's why I said, when I say he's the problem, what I mean is because you have him and Torres, it, that's what's actually giving the Yankees the roster inflexibility. That's what's giving them because Gleyber Torres is a DH. That's his best position, his designated hitter, because this kid can hit. But if you put him at DH, then you've got to put Stanton in the field. Well, if you put Stanton in the field, who's playing well, Volpe's at second base? Where are you playing LeMahieu? Because Josh Donaldson is still on this roster. So the trade that Cashman made last season when he brought Donaldson screwed this team. Because without Donaldson, you can put LeMahieu at third. Now, here's, here's your defensive infield at this point. It's LeMahieu at third. Peraza at short, Volpe at second, Rizzo at first. That's a gold glove infield all the way around. Cashman also screwed this team when he traded a guy like Jordan Montgomery, who's a steady back into the rotation guy, for a guy like Harrison Bader when you know you have a guy like Dominguez on the on the horizon that can play center field. Um, and now you look at some of these injuries to the Yankees pitching staff. Jordan Montgomery – would be extremely valuable for this team right now. Yes, but you have to remember the Yankees player development is terrible at evaluating their own players. The Yankees signed Jason Dominguez when he was 16 years old. He's 20 now. So between 18 and 19, he had a dip as he was growing into his new body. So the Yankees basically said, oh, he's not going to be what we thought he was because their player development staff can't evaluate their own players. Think about the fact that the only reason Oswaldo Cabrera got the shot he got was because so many people got hurt. They didn't even know what they had in Cabrera. They didn't know what they had. That speaks to your player development not being able to self-scout their own players. Because if they could self-scout their own players, they would have known that Dominguez was on the come. Then you never trade for an off-injured Harrison Bader who's hurt again, by the way. And there would be no issue with starting Dominguez this season because you would have been expecting to play him. Then the only question is, is Aaron Hicks my fourth outfielder or is Esteban Florio my fourth outfielder or Willie Calhoun? Yankees play development is, is trash. It's trash. They don't know how to self-scout. So, real quick, speaking of a team that somehow finds a way to really develop guys and bring them out of nowhere, uh, uh, I've got to go to Atlanta for a second. I did mention Eli White, Kevin Pillar, Sam Hilliard, all contending for that left left field spot. Uh, So, hopefully, Marcelo Suna can DH for them because he's not a good defensive outfielder. So, he definitely feels like he hits better if he plays in the outfield as well. The other name that I left off that list uh, was Jordan Luplo, who's been with Cleveland and Arizona the last couple of years. And I forgot about him because he was nursing an injury. He just got back this week. Um, I think 
that Kevin Pillar is going to be on this team. Um, he yes. may be a fifth outfielder. Uh, but I think because Kevin Pillar can play a good center field, um, he's a veteran guy. He's a guy that uh, Snicker and, and the Braves brass really like. I think he's going to be on this team, and Eli White is really, really having a good spring. He said he worked on some things to fix his, his swing in the offseason. But he's super athletic. He can run. He can play a little bit of center field, too. Um, and he's actually shown some real pop in his bat in the spring. So I think you're going to see him, too. Uh, Sam Hilliard, former Rocky, uh, he doesn't have any options left. So that's the one guy that may not everybody else uh, – Contending for that spot at least has one option left, so they can go down to be depth. But uh, that's not really where I'm coming from on the development piece. Going into this uh, preseason, the Braves had their top four starters set, right? So you had Freed, mm-hmm. Strider, you got Morton, you got Kyle Wright. So the conversation was for the fifth starter, and the three guys that were considered the favorites for the fifth starter spot. Ian Anderson, who pitched in the World Series a couple of years ago, but then the wheels mm-hmm. fell off somehow last year. Michael Soroka, who's still working his way back from some really unfortunate injuries. That kid looked like an ace a couple of years right. ago. And mm-hmm. Bryce Elder, who pitched a little bit last year, uh, but not a ton. And then Kobe Allard's name was kind of mentioned for. Here's the funny thing. All those guys have been optioned out. They've narrowed it down to two guys, and neither one of those two guys were even thought about. Dylan Dodd, who made it to AAA late last year, pitched well mm-hmm. except for against the Dominican Republic. But Dylan Dodd and a left-hander named Jared Schuster um, is the other guy. So the Braves have enough depth that not even the top, the first four names mentioned are amongst the last two competing for that fifth, for that fifth starter spot. Mm-hmm. And both of those guys have had really good springs. And they're actually going to – you know, uh, take a look at them over the next couple of outings to take a look and, you know, try to make it, you know, basically they got a couple more auditions to make their case uh, for that fifth starter position. So uh, it, it's it's nice to see depth there. Um, and yeah. everything I'm reading even more so is leaning more and more towards uh, Vaughn Grissom being the everyday shortstop and Orlando Arcia getting spot starts at other places on the field, short, second, and third, maybe even a little bit of corner outfield just to, uh, you know, keep him fresh and keep him in the lineup at times. Uh, but it's looking more and more like Orlando Arcia is going to be turned into, you know, a utility guy. But another guy to watch for this team, and like I said, the kid that would have gotten caught up last year over Griffin if he hadn't gotten hurt was that Braden Shoemaker. And that kid's hitting 350 or something this spring. So that's another guy to uh, to really watch for coming down the line. You know, you hope um, you hope that Ozzy can stay healthy. He has been uh, he's had a couple of unfortunate injuries over the last couple of years. He came back last year, was looking really good, and then had another just freak injury, like right as he got back. So. Um, the guy's a lot – Ozzy obviously is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he plays with a lot of energy, with a lot of passion. And one of my favorite things that he does sometimes, um, he gets to running super fast. He hits a ball in the gap or whatever. And uh, at least 
two or three times a month, he runs out from under his batting helmet. <laughs> I don't know. Why. Yeah. It just seems funny to me. But Ozzy's a really fun, uh, energetic guy to watch and brings a lot of life to that team. So, you know, hopefully that kid can stay healthy. But I feel like they have some depth to absorb some of that if it were, you know, if they if they have to. So, um, yeah, well, looking well, at that. Long, I'm... Go ahead. No, I'm listening. Well, I was going to... Go ahead. No, no, I just tapped mute. That's why you heard the click. I'm listening. Oh. Um, I was going to say, Eli White's a 4A player. I don't care what he's hitting this spring. He's a 4A player. Kevin Pillar is going to be you guys' best bet. I wouldn't play him in center field, even though he was a great center fielder. He's more suited to be a corner outfielder, corner outfielder now. Um, but Pilar can still he can still hit. He's still great defensively. I would put him in the corner. I wouldn't have him in center field all the time. I'd have him mostly in the corners. But Eli White is a four A guy. I don't care what he's doing spring. He's a four A player. He's a four A player. Well, their their starting center fielder is Michael Harris. I mean, and he can cover the ground. And Michael Harris is a guy that has really burst on the scene. And I he has all the look right now of a guy that could stick around and play this game for a long time. Um, oh, yeah, Harris, so, Harris is just center fielder for the next 15 years. Y'all good. Yeah, I, <laughs> I truly believe that. I think he's going to be around for a long time. I just think in a pinch or sometimes to give him a break, you could uh, you could play this guy. I, I agree with you on Eli White, unless he's really been able to make some adjustments. Sometimes you never know what a player has in him. Um, but I think he probably is a 4A guy. He does have a little pop in his back. Um, but I think that Pilar makes the team, and I think that – but honestly, I think that Eddie Rosario is probably the starting left fielder. I think Rosario, Harris, and Acuna are your uh, are your starting outfielders, and I think that Marcelo Zinn is probably the DH. Like I said, I think Pilar yeah. is on this team, and then I think that you're – you know, Hilliard, White, and Luplo probably are competing for that last outfield spot. I think by the all-star break that Rosario will be your DH and Kevin Pillar will be your starting left fielder. Because, listen, I know for whatever reason, I know they, they, they're in love with Ozuna down there. I've never been a huge fan of his. Um, I think Eddie Rosario is okay defensively. His best position is DH. And now that you have Pilar, I think you can use Ozuna as – I think Ozuna becomes your fourth outfielder, which is fine because you can fill him in and in, 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 you can really fill him in in, in, in in three spots out there in a pinch. You can use him in a DH spot to give guys blows. I think your best lineup has Rosario at DH and Pilar in the outfield. I think – I think the, the deal is, though, when Osuna is right, and I don't know if he ever will be again. We'll see. Because, uh, you know, he did a lot for that team over the COVID year. Um, did a lot in the postseason. So, to me, I think offensively, offensively, I think Rosario and, and Osuna are probably, you know, probably have the highest feelings of, the, of, the, of those guys. I like Pilar's glove in the corner outfield spot. I don't like him as much in center anymore. But I don't like his bat as much as I like either one of those guys, I don't think. Um, but it'll be interesting to see 
uh, as this season continues to evolve. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that uh, we can go. So I thought we would just throw out a few guys. Uh, I know you've watched some spring training, so have I. So we could talk prospects, or we can talk about guys coming back off injury. If there are uh, any guys, uh, position players, or pitchers that you are very interested interested to watch, kind of going into the season, um, just that are kind of jumping out at you, or guys that you sort of have your eyes on. Clay Bellinger, uh, Michael Conforto, <laughs> Bellinger and Conforto. I think Clay Bellinger is going to have a great season. He's away from the Dodgers, who tried Bellinger. to turn him into a home run hitter, and he's not a home run hitter. Cody Bellinger. I, I kept saying Clay, didn't I? Yeah, you did. But I know Cody Bellinger. About. Yeah, Clay's son. <laughs> um. Cody Bellinger is a gap-to-gap guy with tremendous power. He's not a home run hitter. He's a guy who can hit home runs. He can also steal bases. He can also play gold glove outfield and first base. In Wrigley Field, he won't have to try to swing for the fences. So I think his natural stroke will come back, which is also what I think messed up his shoulder, because he became a dead pull hitter. He's not a dead pole hitter. He's a gap-to-gap guy. I think he's going to have a tremendous season, and I think that the Cubs are going to trade him if they're out of it at the All-Star at the deadline, which I think they will be. I don't think they're going to. I think the Cubs are going to be okay, but I think they're going to be kind of on the outside looking in for the playoffs, and I think they're going to get a really good return on their investment in him, which is why I think they signed it. They didn't sign him for long term. They signed him so that they, he could show them that he was he- sure by he's healthy. He's only 27 years old, by the way, but he's healthy and he's back, and then you, you can trade him for two A prospects. Easy. You trade him. Conforto is a guy that I'm interested in seeing because if his shoulder is right, he's another guy. Now, he's, he's in his 30s. Well, I think he's 30, 31, maybe 30. I think that he still has value. I think that San Francisco is a perfect place for him. He's an opposite field guy. You put him in that ballpark in Frisco, I think he's going to hit really, really, really well. And I think Jacob DeGrom is going to crush it in Texas. I think he's going to crush it in Texas. Because the one thing we know about Bruce Bochy is pitchers who play for Bruce Bochy who have had sort of star-crossed careers suddenly become world beaters. If you don't believe me, ask Matt Moore. Matt Moore was a guy with the Rays who everybody said, oh, man, he never realized his talent. Went to San Francisco, started throwing no-hitters and, and, and <laughs> all-star games and everything else. So those, those, three, those three guys are, are the ones I'm really looking at. And, and prospect-wise, I, I talked to Ronnie, Ronnie uh, Mauricio, the Mets, ad nauseum, but I think I want to see what Spencer Torkelson does. I think this is a big year for him because I don't know if he's going to be able to cut it at this at this level as a hitter. Um, I think that him having to replace Cabrera is too much for him. I think it's too much for him. And I think that the Tigers are going to wind up moving him, which might be the best thing for his career. 
because what I saw from him last season, what I'm seeing this spring, is a guy who is still trying to be more than what he is. So he's the really interesting um, thing for me with your Spencer Talks on the Detroit Tigers. I was sure talking on me. 929-477-2759 is the caller number if you want to join us. Uh, speaking of the Tigers, I'm really looking at Riley Green. I want to see if he takes another step forward this year because indications are that he very well could do that. Um, another guy in his second year that I'm curious to watch is Bobby Witt in Kansas City. And I'm very interested mm. in Wander Franco. I'm very interested in Wander Franco in Tampa too, because going into last year, he was really high on everybody's draft board, biggest prospect, number one prospect in baseball. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of pressure off the, off this year. I'm curious to watch him. As far as, um, I, I just thought about Riley Green when you mentioned Torgos, and I was going to go different directions. Franco is one of my guys. I'm I'm curious to watch Dustin May this year with the Dodgers because he looked mm. a couple years ago like he, you know, was a legitimate, like a bona fide ace at the top of that staff. Um, last year he comes back and struggles a little bit, uh, but, you know, that's common. When you first come off of uh, Tommy John, it's usually that next year that you really start, start to see the strength come back. He's been better um, in the. Uh, he's been better in the in spring training this year. So Dustin May is a guy uh, that I'm really curious to see, you know what what he looks like. And then uh, a couple of young guys with the Mets that I'm really interested to watch this year is that Britt Beatty at third base and Francisco Alvarez behind the plate. Those are two guys that, that really intrigue me. And listen, I I have a lot of uh, belief in the Rangers. I'm telling you right now, if somehow, some way, it only happens about once every uh, five years, so it's almost as rare as Haley's comment. But if Anthony Rendon can actually stay healthy for a good chunk of the season in the <laughs> middle of that lineup, uh, that that could the Angels could be uh, could be sneaky. Um, I agree with your comments about the Cubs. I think they're going to be better, but I think they're probably still a distant third um, in that central. I think Milwaukee's got plenty of pitching, and if they can get anything offensively, they're going to be okay. Uh, St. Louis is always balanced. That team, that organization just knows how to win uh, year in and year out. So, uh, you know, I think that those two teams are still the class of that division. I think the Cubs are probably – the third best team there, and I don't think that's enough to get them uh, to get them through. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Are you watching the Rangers tonight? Um, are they are they handling business? Yeah, they won. I was going to say about Dustin May. The only problem with Dustin May is he is going to continue to get injured until he changes his delivery. It's not yeah, going to work. A, He's going to continue to get hurt. Point. That that's a fair point. And then, you know, I, I'm curious to see because I feel like a lot of people going into last year was like, well, Cleveland's got a lot of pitching, but can they do it offensively? Well, then Stephen Kwan comes up and has a really good year. 
Andres Jimenez has a decent, has a really good year. He's an all-star at second base. Uh, Ahmad Rosario, who they kept trying to move off the shortstop position and put him in the outfield and put Jimenez over there at shortstop. Um, all he did was kind of uh, re-win that position and have a decent season last year. Um, so looking at Cleveland, now they get Josh Bell to be either the first baseman or the DH. So you bring him in. Uh, I think he's probably a decent veteran fit for that team. I, I think that they are good enough to win the division, uh, but are they good enough to do anything beyond that? Uh, there, and then an, another team that I'm that I'm really interested in, and I think that probably either next week or the week after an opening night, we'll we'll go in and maybe make some predictions for the season. Um, but I, I'm reading a lot about the vibe sort of changing in camp for the Chicago White Sox. I'm hearing that there's a lot more accountability. These guys are working hard to stay in shape. Listen, the the roster top to bottom for that Chicago White Sox team, I don't know if they have enough pitching. But bringing in Benintendi to solidify the outfield defense along with Luis Robert and whoever's on the other corner – uh, then being able to move Andrew Vaughn into first base. Listen, o- o- Jose Abreu is going to be missed. We're being able to move uh, Vaughn into first base. I mean, and I guess Elvis Andres is going to play second for them, so that gives him kind of a veteran in the middle of that diamond next to Tim Anderson and Yohan Mercado over at uh, over at third. Oh, and Grandal, as bad as he was last year, uh, he can still get on base until you, you have somebody behind him just to see what he can uh, – what what he can do at the uh, behind the plate and oh Eloy Jimenez um, is in that outfield as well for them although Eloy is probably a designated hitter stud uh, he's a stud but he yeah if somehow he finds a way to stay healthy though him and Luis Robert both are true studs if they if they if they can mm-hmm. stay healthy and I and I think you're going to see an uptick in Andrew Vaughn's numbers because he's not being forced to play in the outfield anymore either. Um, so well, this offense is going to be really good. If they can pitch enough, um, the White Sox are definitely going to be hurt from in that AL Central. See, I got a problem with the Elvis Andrews thing. He is a bench player now. He's not a starting second baseman. He's, he's not a starting anything now. He's not. He is going to get hurt if you play him more than three games a week. He's going to get hurt. He should be a guy who fills in in the infield three to four days a week. That's it. Um, so I already have a problem with how they're doing this. I've always liked Elvis Andrews. That's not he's not the Elvis Andrews from Texas anymore. Okay, he is a good clubhouse guy. He's a reserve guy. He's a good veteran presence. He's not a starting second baseman. He's not a starting anything. And honestly, what they should have done was gone and gotten a shortstop and put Tim Anderson in second base. Tim Anderson, for all of the the hoop line, this and that, and let me be, let me full disclosure, I I can't stand Tim Anderson. I think he's a clown. He's very talented. But to me, Tim Anderson is more is better suited at second base. And then you go get yourself a, a defensive shortstop, a guy who can really pick it. Because now with this shift gone, Tim Anderson's about to get exposed. 
he's about to get exposed. I think he profiles better at second base, and then you go out and get yourself a really good defensive shortstop. Now I think you got the makers of something in that infield. I, it's funny because I, I disagree with you on Tim Anderson, and, I, and I'm curious to see, and, and you might be right, and if you are, I'll, I will gladly tell you before the season's over because he, he did move over and play second base for the first time with Team USA and did a nice job over there. Tim Anderson is super athletic. He can run. Um, you know, I, I actually, uh, <laughs> I actually enjoy Tim Anderson, even like, uh, some of his comments and whatever else. I, I don't know why. Uh, I just like the outspokenness of him. He's kind of brash. I feel like in a, uh, in a game where there's a lot of like, not on my lawn type of, uh, old heads in this game. I I think that Tim Anderson in some ways is a breath of fresh air. And I'm not even a uh I'm not a White Sox fan. I've just uh even from the time he has come up, uh Tim Anderson's always been a guy that I like. The guy can really, really hit and as you said, he is super talented. I'm curious to see this year uh what his fielding percentages look like and how he looks at shortstop. Um because he he listen, if I'm wrong and he does need to move I think he's athletic enough that he can embrace the second base position and be fine over there. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see. I think that this is a make or break year, though, for Johan Mercado. Right? So he was such a highly talented guy coming up. Go ahead. All he does is play a really good defensive third base, and he is a run. He, he is a guy who puts the ball in play. And without this shift, he's going to be a run producer. He's not a home run hitter. And that's been the problem the entire time. People want him in home runs, not a home run hitter. Yon Makata is an average guy. He's an RBI guy. He's not a home run hitter. And if people accept him for what he is, they'll be very happy. And let me just say this about Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson compared himself to Jackie Robinson. He's a clown. I think you're on mute, Mike. I sure was. I definitely see where you're coming from on that. And and I think, like, even he came back and said, I I think sometimes when you're young and brash and you're real outspoken, uh, sometimes you're just going to put your foot in your mouth. And so I just hope you took a good shower and washed them good that day. Uh, But the, 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 the question is, the question is, can he learn from that and understand where he kind of went wrong there, right? So that that that's to me what what I want to see um, because I so this is um, a different thing. Like you know, we talked about guys before, guys needing second chances, whatever. Uh, this is a thing where I think uh, definitely a second chance is warranted on that. That being said. And we can hit a little baseball at the end if you want. Uh, but an issue that you and I did talk about uh, at length over the last couple of weeks, ruling finally comes down. John Morant gets an eight-game system. Your thoughts on that? Um, I actually don't like it. And here's why. That should have happened first. The minute that video was released, he should have been suspended. But because he 
he should first should have been suspended by the team. And then the NBA could have said, no, we'll make it an NBA suspension. But here's what happened. He said, you know what? <laughs> I'm out of control. He took steps to begin to rectify, not rectify, begin to rectify his behavior and what's going on with him and to address some things. Now, I still don't like some of the words he's using. I, I, I dislike when, the word mistake. A mistake is when you, on a multiple-choice test, you mark B instead of C. He's made bad choices. He hasn't made mistakes. He's made bad choices. He has made decisions. Because to me, when you say the word mistake, you are not accepting all the accountability for what you did. You made a choice. Hopefully over time, his, his, his word uses will change. But I like the fact that he took the initiative to address what's going on. Since he took the initiative to address what's going on, what are you suspending him for? He already stepped away. He already, when the, when the team said, oh, it'll be two games, he's like, no, it's going to be longer than two games because you can't rectify this in two games. He's already not playing next week when he could have, when, you know, he, he could have come back. No, no, he hasn't, been, he hasn't, he hasn't even been playing basketball, which means he's already out of shape, which means he's been taking this seriously. So what are you suspending him for? Just so you can look good? That's what it is to me. The NBA needs to look like they're doing something. Oh, and it's basically only a two-game suspension because he's already missed six games, so they're going to give him credit for the six games that he voluntarily missed. So basically, you gave him a two-game suspension so you could look good. Miss me with that. Miss me with all of that. Uh, Taylor, not with you, but uh, 15 more minutes of roundtable gumbo. Uh, oh, no, we got 45. One. Okay. I got another one for you, Chandler. <laughs> uh, as far as as far as Ja, really, uh, you know, I I just hope that I, I hope this is a wake up call for the kid because as we talked about before, he is so supremely talented. Uh, but talent can't overcome bad choices, and you start. Flexing like you're something that you're not in the wrong situation, and um, listen, you, 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 to use a line from T.I. Paper Trail, you get dogs put a jail, and that's a hell of a decision. So hopefully, uh, hopefully he can he can keep himself, you know, out of that predicament. And I I just hope this guy gets himself right because. Uh, I think the league is better and fans of, of basketball are better if if this guy's that's, in the court. That's why, that's why I dislike the suspension because when you have to start setting boundaries in your life, it's hard to set boundaries with people you care about. It's hard. And there are going to be times where you're going to say yes when you should say no. It is hard to tell someone who has been in your life forever, you need to go. I can't be around you anymore. So he is going, there are going, there's going to be a misstep or two on this path because healing and growing is not a linear thing. It's not linear. It's not supposed to be linear 
because otherwise you won't learn a damn thing. If you don't bump your head, you don't learn. So well, if you well, by suspending him now, right, you're kind of setting him up to fail. Because again, I'm gonna go back to he now he has to start cutting people out of his life that have been with him since he was a child. There's they're gonna guilt him. There's going to be things that he's going to say yes a couple of times when he shouldn't. So his name will come up. It won't be as serious as what's happened, but his name is going to come up in something. What are you going to do then? So now it's this major suspension, and it looks like, oh, he lied. No. What's happening is he's going through the growing pains of maturity, removing himself from people that he shouldn't be around which is very hard to do. Anybody who's ever had to tell a friend or a family member that's not good for them, I can't be around you anymore, tell me how easy that was for you. Tell me how many times that you still went around them when you knew you shouldn't have because you felt guilty, even though you were doing the best thing for yourself. That is hard to do, and we're asking a 23-year-old to do this in front of, the entire world. That's why I don't like the suspension. Because we have to give him the room to understand that he's going to make some mistakes still, not mistakes, he's going to make some bad choices still. But as long as they're not as bad as the choices he made before, it's okay. Because this is not a linear process. By suspending him these eight games, you're setting him up so that the next thing that comes, now you got to suspend him double-digit games. Now it makes him look like he lied to everybody when he said he was trying to do better. How is that helpful? All right, I got another one for you. Recently this past week, uh, uh, Yokohama, I'm not even going to try to remember the mascot because I'm going to lie and I don't want to do that. <laughs> kind of close to the Sabbath. Um, but the, the the Yokohama team from Japan has signed mm-hmm. uh, to a one-year contract, one Mr. Trevor Bauer. Uh, so he yeah. is going to go pitch for a year in Japan. Your thoughts on this? Um, I don't have a problem with it. I think Trevor Bauer should be pitching amazingly baseball. Now, Trevor Bauer is a POS. Let's be clear. He's a jerk. There were a whole lot of guys like Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball. Mike Clevenger, for example, among others. Mm-hmm. Now, the I reason Tre- – now, Tre- Trevor Bauer was not a well-liked person because he's a, he's, a, he's, he's a POS. He got suspended because Major League Baseball legislated against the type of sex he was having. Trevor Bauer is into, I'm, I'm just putting, and I'm going to say mildly use the word rough. It's far more than that. He's into rough sex. That's what he's into. Based on what the judge said in the case, the person he was with, and they exposed the text, said, hey, I want you to do this, 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 and this to me. Now, to a lot of people, that's like, oh, my God, he, he hit. That's what the person said they wanted. That is the type of sex they chose to engage in. So basically, you legislated against the type of sex he was having, which is why he's not a major league baseball. You don't like the type of sex he's having. That's wrong. Now, 
no one has a problem with him being gone because, again, he's a terrible human being. But he deserves an opportunity to play baseball. Would I want him on my team? Absolutely not, because he's terrible. Does he deserve the opportunity to play? Yes, he does. See, I don't have to support your what you do. I don't have to like what you do. But I will defend to the death your right to do it. As long as you are not hurting someone, as long as what you're doing is consensual, then do it. It's not my place to judge. And the problem is he's being – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I I think that with with Bauer, and I think because of what you said about him not being a very liked guy, I think that – and because he's been outspoken on so many different things over the last few years, I think uh, a couple things about this. I I agree with you. Uh, I think he's served his punishment, his suspension. He has been out of the league for a while. And if you look at this, even most of the playoff teams from last year, if you put him on those rosters, he becomes arguably mm-hmm. the best pitcher, if not the second best pitcher on most of those rosters, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So you look at that, and but I think that one of the things to consider is whether a team is willing to take the PR hit that is going to come with picking up Trevor Bauer. Now, maybe if he goes to Japan, pitches for a year, doesn't have any problems, maybe that's his ticket back to the major leagues next season. There was – I read that there was not an escape clause where a lot of Americans will go to Japan and they'll have an escape clause written in their contract that says, you know, if a major league team comes calling, you'll let me out of this contract or whatever. There's no escape clause in this contract for him. So I have a feeling that he is going to pitch – this entire regular season in Japan. But I have a feeling you start seeing injuries pile up and some other things and some teams being desperate for uh, pitching help. Um, I have a feeling that he might get another shot in the majors by next season. No, he won't. Trevor Bauer's never pitched in Major League Baseball again. I'm going to tell you that right now. Trevor Bauer has been effectively blackballed. No one's going to say it. He's been blackballed. The Major League Baseball will not allow a team to sign him. It won't be done publicly. It will be done behind closed doors. But Trevor Bauer will never pitch in the Major Leagues again. And all you need to know about that is because a large portion of the players in that Dodgers locker room, when asked by management, would you have a problem if we brought him back, a large portion of them said we wouldn't have a problem with him being in this locker room. And the Dodgers got rid of him anyway. That's all you need to know. He would be welcome in some locker rooms in Major League Baseball. Now, what that says about those locker rooms, that's a whole different conversation. But Major League Baseball would not allow this man to be back. Because keep in mind that he went after Rob Manfred on multiple occasions. You really think Rob Manfred's letting that man play play baseball again in the major leagues? I'm probably not. not happening. <laughs> no. 
Speaking of the Dodgers, I, I'm I am very curious to see Miguel Vargas this year. Uh, there's a lot of talk that his bat is ready. I thought he was going to be better on the corner. Uh, they tend to like his range at, at second base. So uh, Miguel Vargas is a guy that I'll be honest with you. When I look around what this lineup looks like in L.A., he's a guy that the Dodgers really need to blow up and be even close to as good as they, they think he can be because you don't really have – they've lost a lot in the last few years. And so uh, right now you're asking Freeman and Betts and Will Smith to pretty much carry that, that lineup. Max Muncy can get on base and he can hit the ball at the ballpark, but he's not—he's not, you know, at a team's best, he's not a middle of the order hitter. He hit six or seven, right? Um, right. And now he's rejuvenated his career out there. But Miguel Vargas is a the guy they really need to take off because um, you know they—they they, they got some old guys. David Peralta might play some left field for them. Uh, Jason Hayward's getting a look in center. I mean, they got a lot of old guys, and, and, and they're filling in a bunch of parts. And then, you know, uh, Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, and Dustin May, some of these guys are really going to have to carry this uh, this pitching staff. I, You know, I, I can clearly say, and, and they, may, they may pull it out, but uh, for the first time in several years, I think the Dodgers are the underdog in the National League West. Not, I mean, not yeah. underdog as far as winning the division. I think they're, I think they're clearly still the second best team, but they're not the favorites in the West this year. I'd agree with that. Um, I think the Dodgers are trying to reset the luxury tax, so they're going to war with a team that's not as good as it could be. I think the guy for the Dodgers, honestly. And if I'm uh, was a Friedman, right? If I'm Friedman, I'm talking to the Yankees about Gleyber Torres. I'm talking to the Yankees about Gleyber Torres. He's only making ten million dollars. Let's say you get the Yankees to eat two million of that. You bring him in at eight. You stay under that threshold. If he plays well, you reset yourself. He's up for arbitration next year. The most he'll probably get is fifteen. So you can give him fifteen next season will still leave you able to go out and really um, uh, make a, a quality offer, that $500 million for Shohei Otani, which is what the Dodgers are trying to do. That's why they're putting this team out there that they're putting out there. They're trying to reset so they can go after Shohei Otani. But if they really, if you're trying to win, I think the guy for you is, is Gleyber Torres. Quality hitter, you know he can play second base. He's, he understands how to, how to thrive in the spotlight because he played New York, and I think Labor Torres would, would thrive at Dodger Stadium. I think it's a perfect fit. Now, they won't do it, but to me, if I'm Andrew Friedman, I think the Yankees are willing to give, give me Labor Torres and see if they'll eat, say, 2 or $3 million off his contract. You're muted again, aren't you? I keep doing that today. I, I've been good. I hadn't done it in three months, and I've done it three times today. Um, I, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think especially with Gavin Looks going down uh, this year. Because you know Max Muncy is not going to be a mainstay 
on that infield and probably doesn't need to be. He probably needs to be a guy that you can move around, plug in sometimes at first, second, or third, or DH. Um, mm-hmm. And so right. even if you do get Gavin Lux back next year, um, it's not like you're going to overcrowd this infield uh, by going and getting Glaber Torres. So to me, I think that's a really good pickup for the uh, – for the for the Dodgers, and I think that's something that they should definitely look at. Uh, now, the, we talked about this a good bit on Tuesday night, but I didn't get to get your take on some of this. There has been a lot of uh, free agent moves, things that have happened in football. I'm going to stay away from uh, the man's neighborhood and a beautiful day and all that kind of stuff. I don't really want to <laughs> go there right now. Um, so, I'm just going to kind of run down a list of these. Uh, I'll break after a group of them and see if, if there's other ones you want to add. We can throw some more out there later on. I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with the Saints. Jameis Winston comes back to to be the backup this year to continue to try to get healthy. Uh, they rework Michael Thomas's deal. They lose uh, Caden Ellis, Luther's kid, to the Falcons, and they also lose. Uh, Shy Toe, the Falcon, uh, to the Panthers, and they lose David Onyemata to the Falcons. They did get two defensive tackles to kind of replace those guys in Saunders uh, from Kansas City and Shepard from the Jets. They also uh, signed Jamal Williams yesterday from the Lions. The Lions turned around and signed David Montgomery. Uh, and boy from Dallas. Uh, the boy from Dallas, uh, pass rusher, is uh, now with Buffalo, Hargraves to San Francisco uh, to try to help solidify the middle of that uh, defense. Orlando Brown still doesn't have a deal. Um, no, he does. Tyler Heineck. Cincinnati. Does he? Cincinnati. Oh, he's going to, oh yep. listen, Joe Burrow needs anybody he can get on that line. Um, you got uh, you got Tyler Heineke going in to compete against um, – Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. You got Baker Mayfield going to compete against Kyle Trask um, in Tampa Bay. You got Jimmy Garoppolo going to play with Josh McDaniels, who he's familiar with. In Raider Nation, I don't think Garoppolo is an upgrade from Derek Carr. Uh, nope. Those are uh, some of the moves that I've seen. I know there's a there's a lot more. The Giants traded for Darren Waller uh, from the Raiders. They also signed Paris Campbell. So, I mean, I guess you got to have somebody when Sterling Shepard goes down. Um, so, I, yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I get that. Uh, you know, we saw Geno get re-upped. Uh, any comments on any of those moves or other moves that you've seen over the last couple of days um, in the NFL? So, the Lions went from Jamal Williams, who was money at the goal line, to David Montgomery, who can't stay healthy. How is that an upgrade? Uh, the giant, the, the Lions are taking a step back. That that was a bad move all the way around. Bad move all the way around. This is a guy who was who was the epitome of your team, hard soul of your team. Oh, and by the way, a bruiser at the goal line for another scat back, and a guy who keeps getting hurt. Makes no sense to me. I like Jamal Williams with the Saints. Uh, the, their team, they're going to love him. And they're going to get a lot more touchdowns in the red zone with him because uh, the kid just has a nose for the goal line. 
the Ra- the Raiders, this is Josh McDaniel destroying another team. You told people that Waller was getting married when he didn't want you to, and he said something to you about it, so you traded him. Now, you could have traded him last year for a second-round pick, but because you're a genius, Josh McDaniels, you held on to him and said, I don't need no damn second-round pick. I'm going to trade you for a third-round pick. Basically the, guy can, basically, the Giants turned Kendarius Tony into Dan Waller. No, which is fine for the Giants. But think about this. The Raiders could have had a second-round pick for Darren Waller. And instead, they got a third-round pick for Darren Waller. So you had a first-round talent. You could have got a second-round pick for, but in your ultimate genius, you settled for a third-round pick. Okay. Um, you franchise Josh Jacobs, which he's not signing that franchise tender, by the way. Um, so, and Josh Jacobs is like, yo, this is some BS when he saw you traded Darren Waller. We already know that, that Josh McDaniels was trying to run Josh Jacobs out of town anyway. And then you went and signed Jimmy Garoppolo, who's never played a full season because he can't stay healthy. Okay. Yay, Raiders, six wins. Six wins. Um, I like what the Giants have done because you're right. Pat, between Paris Campbell and, and Sterling Shepard, they should get about seven games each between the two of them. So that's 14 games, pretty good. <laughs> oh, because one or the other of them will always be hurt. So basically, whichever one isn't hurt is the one that's going to be in the lineup. But I like the Darren Waller thing. Listen, if you were making hidden touchdowns with Daniel Bellinger, imagine what you're going to do with Darren Waller um, with Brian Dable. So, and if you're going to give Daniel Jones that money, then and you know Daniel Jones is limited, then you got to make sure that you got some quality people for him to throw to. And Darren Waller is that. Now, my hope is that Darren Waller doesn't come to New York and decide he need to go out somewhere and go back down that particular rabbit hole. But as long as he is truly on on the right path as far as his 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 sobriety, I think it's a great pickup for them. Um, who else are we talking about? Uh, the Cincinnati thing, Orlando Brown. That's a no-brainer for Cincinnati. Um, with Philly and Javon Hargrave, listen, they already had his replacement in the building, the kid from Alabama. So um, I like what Denver's done. Um, Rashad Penny went to somebody. Who did he go to? Who did he go to? I forget who he went to. I think it's a good pickup. Uh, Carolina got Miles Sanders, which I think is a really good pickup. And uh, the commander signed Jacoby Brissett, which I think is stupid. I think the dumbest move so far of the offseason to me is the, is the Lions letting Jamal Williams go and signing David Montgomery. That, to me, uh, uh, that one and Josh McDaniels, every move Josh McDaniels makes is a dumb move. So those two teams I think did the worst. But I like what a lot of the teams have done. They've really upgraded. Yeah, mute. Miles Sanders to Carolina um, is interesting to me. Have you seen anything on Frank Clark yet? Uh, no, but the, the Chiefs did sign somebody to replace him already. Um, the kid, the guy from San Francisco. So they replaced him. I don't know. Who, I don't think Frank Clark has signed with anybody yet. I don't think he's signed with anybody yet, but the Chiefs has already replaced him with a defensive um, D- with a DN from San Francisco, D tackle from San Francisco. They also uh, 
signed Juwan Taylor to replace Orlando Brown at left tackle. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. The thing with Orlando Brown is, dude, when they keep franchising you, that means they don't really want you. <laughs> Why? I don't know what it is with him. Because um, he went through the same thing with the Ravens. And honestly, I never, I never understood that. But I think Cincinnati, he'll be fine. But I mean, he listen, he's a good tackle. He's really good. The kid is massive. But for whatever reason, he hasn't found – there's something about him that these teams just find off-putting. That's the only way I can look at it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely – you know, we have this shakeup as we do every year. It does make things a little bit uh, interesting going into the draft. I still think that depending on who's there for them, I could still see the Saints addressing defensive tackle to try to get a rotation of guys there. I could also still see the Saints maybe addressing the, the linebacker position. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them still take another running back. Um, to be quite honest with you, nobody on that team other than Kamara really, really impressed that they feel like they have a guy like we know how much running backs have been devalued over the last few years in the draft. If a guy like B. John Robinson from Texas happens to fall that far down, I don't think he will. But if he did, I could see them maybe uh, maybe taking a guy like that. I will say, like, I feel like Michael Thomas had to do uh, something here and I think that with him being out as much as he was, and I said this the other night, I think that uh, his market had really, really fallen off, right? So I think he had to – an incentive-based deal here with New Orleans is probably uh, – you know, he's still got a chance to make up to $10 million. And then if you can have a really good year, you really fit what that offense needs, a guy that can make contested catches in traffic and can high-point the football – and, you know, you really compliment Olave and the speedster Rashid Shahid. I did make sure I knew how to say that name, so when we came back, I could do it. Um, I like the, the speed that he has on the outside as well. So I, I think that um, he fits what they need in this offense uh, at the receiver position, and if he can round himself back into shape and have a good season, maybe he prices himself out of uh, what the Saints are capable of, capable of but this is still a system that he knows, right? And so to me, if you're trying to prove it somewhere, to maybe try to earn one more big contract, uh, I, I think you're as, as fortunate or your your best opportunity to do that is going to be in a system that you know and are familiar with. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I, think, I think there would have been a market for him. Um, I could have seen him going to the Giants on the same type of deal. I think the Giants would have loved to have a possession guy. Because he's a possession receiver. I think the Giants would have loved to have a guy like that. I think he just wanted to stay in with the Saints, honestly. I think there was a market for him. But I think, listen, guys like playing with Derek Carr. They like playing with him. So once him and Carr started talking, and I don't think he really wanted to leave New Orleans anyway, because he strikes me as the guy who's not really up for all the glitz and the glam of some of the bigger cities. I think he likes being in New Orleans. I think it fits his personality. I think it was it was a no-brainer for him. And I think, honestly, regardless, I think even if he has a great season, I think he finds a way to get his last contract 
with the Saints. I don't think he ever leaves the Saints. I think that he that city is built for him and he's built for that city. So and he strikes me as a guy who's smart enough to know that. Second round of the NCAA wrestling tournament is done. Uh, so after Saturday, I'll probably follow basketball a little bit more. That's kind of my passion because the sport that I did. So uh, Penn State and Iowa right there close, but Penn State still got seven guys on the front side of the bracket. Iowa's got five. So uh, really interesting. Uh, Iowa still got all their guys on the back side. So uh, we'll see tomorrow. Penn State's lost one guy. They only had nine qualified, so they got eight left. But seven of them on the front side. Those guys went 15 and three today as a team, so can't really argue with that. That's a pretty good first day. Uh, with seven of your nine in the quarterfinals, uh, yeah, good day at the office. But okay, looking around, I, I'm trying to see if there's any other signings that really, really uh, jump out to me. I think that uh, Josh Daniels and his continued quest, Josh McDaniels and his continued quest to the Las Vegas Raiders, New England, West Coast. Yeah, I think he also brought in Jacoby Myers um, into that receiving yeah. core. Yeah. Um, you know, that doesn't impress me. Um, I agree with you. I think that this was a <laughs> I, somebody on Facebook who's a Lions fan says, I think we got the better all-around guy getting Montgomery over Jamal Williams, and I'm like, yeah, at least, at least the Saints guy can stay on the field. Um, I'm excited about Jamal Williams. It's really, really interesting to see, though, because this entire, as I've said before, this entire NFC South is wide, wide open. Um, and so um, what these teams do – and, and how they go about building these rosters is going to is going to be really interesting because anybody anybody can can win in this division. Um, it was not an uncommon thing over previous seasons, and I think some of it had to do with the way the schedules fell. But last place team come back finish first the following year. But I think this division is very very wide open. Um, it's not wide open. It's the Saints division to lose. It's the Saints division to lose. Dude, the, it the Bucks, listen, Todd Bowles is a terrible coach, okay? And they went and got Baker Mayfield. He, might he be and Baker Mayfield, oh, listen, he and <laughs> Baker Mayfield are going to get along as well as, 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 as Lauren Boebert and any Democrat, okay? So that ain't going to end well. <laughs> then you got – who else is in the division? You got you – got, um, Carolina and Atlanta. Carolina, they don't have a quarterback. So you got the Saints. They're about to draft their quarterback oh, with the first overall pick. Yeah, which means they don't have a quarterback. So you know, first year guy, they're not doing well. And then you got the Falcons. Who's their quarterback again? There you go. I said, who's the Falcons quarterback again? It's Heineke or Ritter. Yeah, so they don't have a quarterback either. If the Saints don't win this division, Dennis Allen should be fired. I'm not sure. Looking around this division, um, in the uh, in the color me surprised uh, category, Matt Ryan is being released by the Indianapolis Colts. 
So not surprised at that. I yeah. don't know that he's going to catch on anywhere. Um, in this no, he should retire. Next he year. should retire. He's done. He's done. Go ahead and retire, Matt Ryan. Go ahead and, and sign back with the Falcons for a day and retire as a Falcon. You're done. You know, somebody actually yeah. signed um, – What's his face that played with the Bengals? Andy, what's his face? Andy Dawson's in Carolina. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're trying to win. <laughs> um, and then the Lions signed Jared Stidham as their backup quarterback to Jared Goff. I, maybe they have a Jared thing at quarterback. Maybe yeah. the third string guy can be Jared from Subway. There you go. It, I don't know. Um, like I said, I think the I think the Lions just made I think the Lions made the biggest mistake of the offseason by not bringing Jamal Williams back. Sometimes this a subtraction is a subtraction. Say again. This guy led the league in touchdowns this past season. It's not just that. You already have DeAndre Swift to be your all-purpose back, and then you brought in David Montgomery to be your all-purpose back, which doesn't make any sense because neither one of them are good at the goal line like Jamal Williams was. You had the perfect combination, Williams and Swift. Swift got you from the 20 to the 20. Williams got you from the 20 to the end zone. Why are you messing with that? See, this is the case of, 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 a, of a general manager and a coach thinking they trying to be smarter than they need to be. This is a perfect example of that. You just duplicated something that you didn't need to duplicate. Yeah, I mean, it's going to get really interesting. Uh, I've heard that the Vikings are shopping Dalvin Cook. We'll see what happens there. Um, just looking around the league. There's no well, Cook can't stay healthy. That makes sense. That that makes sense. He right. can't stay healthy, but um, you know, I can see Dalvin Cook going, depending on the Buffalo? price. No, that's who should get him. But I can see him going to Kansas City, depending if the price is right. You put him well in Kansas. City. I can see that, but if I were Kansas City. Now, maybe you do something there, but I, I really like Pacheco. Um, and I think with McKinnon out of the backfield, if I'm Kansas City, if you feel like you need one other guy, I might use a mid-round draft pick. This is a deep round for four running backs. And I, I feel like I would try to shore up other areas of that team. Kansas City still needs to work on the defensive side of the ball. And they now – oh, there, here's another one for you. Uh, Juju. Juju Smith-Schuster signs with the Patriots. Yeah, I saw that. Um, good signing for the Patriots. Um, he's not a number one, but he fits what the Patriots do. He's good enough. He's a perfect Patriots receiver. He's good enough. Right. No, I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I like. Um, I, I think they definitely need need an upgrade at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, Jacoby Myers is not that guy. Um, and so I think Juju is better. And I think he kind of um, – he rehabbed himself a little bit with his time in in Kansas City. He did a nice job there. 
Now, with Kansas City, it becomes really interesting because, you know, you got Kelsey. Does this mean that they keep Hartman or is he gone? Uh, you know, looking around that receiver position, there's there's not a ton of receivers. I could see Kansas City making a play either for one in this draft or – Well, DJ Chark. Um, I would, if I'm Kansas City, I bring in DJ Chark. I think he's a really good replacement for McCole Hardman, who can't stay healthy, by the way. And then the other question becomes for them, can they get – can somehow they get can, – can Darius Tony to stay healthy? Because if so, he could be a vital piece on this team. But, you know, to me, him and Hartman are kind of the same guy. Um, exactly. The other guy for – the other guy for Kansas City is Sky Moore. Uh, what does he turn out to be? So, you know, young last year, kind of got his feet wet in the league. The one thing we know about DJ Chark is he can run. Now, once again, he's yeah. not a problem staying healthy in this league. But he can run. He can get behind defenses. And you give him a guy like Pat Mahomes who has a rocket arm to throw the ball, uh, DJ Chark could have a career year in, uh, yeah. in Kansas City. And you don't need him to play as many snaps as he's played in other places because this is how you keep guys healthy is they don't have to play as many snaps um, because they have a rotating cadre of receivers. This is why I thought of Dalvin Cook for the for the Chiefs because if you can get him at the right price point, you, you're not running him 25 times a game. Dalvin Cook gets hurt because he, he's not – He's not built for 25 runs a game between the tackles. Now, you put him in the right. city where you're giving him 15 to 20 touches a game. Some games he might get five touches. Some games he might get 25. But for the most part, 15 to 20 touches? Dude. Dude. Yeah, see, to me, I'm looking at if I could get 15 to 20 out of him, say I get 15 out of Cook and 15 to 20 out of, uh, out of Pacheco. Pacheco. So thirty, thirty-five. Then you got um, Pacheco can even catch the ball in the backfield some. When the, so mm-hmm. you have that when McKinnon gets hurt. But McKinnon was really good out of the backfield for them this past year. But if you could do that, then you got a good chance to kind of be fifty-fifty. And if you if you mess around and become really balanced on offense, you're going to see uh, you're going to see Pat Mahomes continue to separate himself uh, from the rest of this league right. at the quarterback position. Yep. Um, you know, Jacoby Brissett to the Commanders. I don't think that this is as bad a move as you think. I don't think that he's necessarily your starter at all. No, but I think he is a veteran guy that's been a few places. Maybe he um, in the quarterback room. Maybe he's a guy that can help Sam Howell try to realize his potential. Maybe he's a guy that can fill in if you need him to for a couple of games. Um, and then if he doesn't and Sam Howe doesn't realize any potential and he's not that guy, then it's not going to be hard for them to move on and go look for another guy. You could play out the string uh, down the stretch with, with Brissett if you had to and then maybe, you know, try to draft a guy. Um, you know, and another thing looking at that, you know, Gilmore was traded – Today, yeah, uh, today, today, and Gilmore was traded to where? Dallas. Good move by Dallas. 
Yeah, I I like that move by Dallas to add Gilmore in the, at the back of that defense with Diggs. Um, I like that the Eagles, even though they said he was going to be released, they're bringing Darius Slay back at the cornerback position. The Eagles have lost a decent amount um, on that team. I still find it hard to not still see them as a favorite in the NFC East. But the Giants are really going for it, um, and, and so is Dallas. You know, where does Odell Beckham end up? Uh, here's the thing, though. Odell's crazy. I love Odell Beckham to death. But you're not getting 20 mil, bro. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. But Dallas needs a receiver. So if I'm Dallas, I talk to Buffalo. Stephon Diggs wants out. Mm-hmm. Stephon Diggs and C.D. Lamb. It's a hell of a thing. And if I'm thing Buffalo, Diggs, I'm doing everything I can to get Diggs to come off of this trade demand because you take him off that offense and it becomes a lot less effective. You go back. Oh no, I, I agree with you. Because it, it's it's no accident that once you get once you get Diggs in, that's when. That's when Josh Allen took off because you got him a legit number one. Gabriel Davis is a number two. He is not a number one receiver in this league. If you trade Diggs, um, your offense is going to take a a huge, huge step back. Yes, but see, once again, this is where, again, people try to prove that they're smarter than they are. Um, This is where Sean McDermott is trying to prove that he doesn't need Brian Dayball. He's going to fail miserably, but this is what he's trying to prove. But if I'm the if I'm the Cowboys, I'm trying to get digs because now what that does free Buffalo up to do. Now you can go bring in Beckham for one season at fifteen because that's still cheaper than Stephon Diggs. And, then and hopefully in the draft, and then you draft a receiver that you can turn into your number one next year. If you're going to move off of Diggs, that's the route you go. You bring in Beckham at 15 for one season. You draft a quarterback, a quarterback, a wide receiver who's going to be your number one. You give him a year to develop and learn because, listen, Odell Beckham is a good receiver. He's a good technical receiver as well as a physical freak. Let this kid learn how to play the position. You move off of, off, off of Beckham. You both serve each other's purpose. Beckham stays healthy. He goes and gets a contract elsewhere. And now you have a young number one receiver on a cheap contract. That's what I would do. If I truly have to move digs, that's the route I would go. So we are with you for the next like four minutes. I'm going to give you uh, just one more time. I know we, we did not talk about the NBA other than the John Morant situation. Uh, do you have Anything basketball, football, baseball, hockey-related, anything related to sports that you want to throw out there real quick before we get ready to close the doors here and uh, and watch the pot? No, in NBA, uh, I'll just say I'm so glad that Kyrie Irving is failing miserably in Dallas. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Um, you are not getting that bag, Kyrie. You are not going to get that bag. He's already going on Instagram complaining. Now he says his foot hurts. He can't play. This little 30-game audition 
he has literally shown everybody exactly what it took him four years to show them in uh, three years to show them in, in Brooklyn and a season to show them in Jersey and the two, two to three years he was in Cleveland. This is who Kyrie Irving is. He's going to start off playing lights out. Then he's going to get mad because you ain't gave him a big contract. Then he's going to complain about the fans and then he's going to be hurt. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was good talking to you tonight, Mike. Had a lot of fun. Um, and enjoy your wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got uh, I got criticized on this network and the barbershop on Clubhouse for saying I wouldn't mess with Kyrie and how a lot of teams would, would, would be fortunate to have him. Um, <laughs> as the old expression goes, um, I rest my case. Uh, I just... <laughs> I I just don't I I just I can't with this guy. I I, I you want to go ahead and uh and run your franchise into the into the ground signing. Um, very disappointed in the New Orleans Pelicans. I know part of it is Zion, um, but this team looked very very flat against the Lakers the other night. Brandon Ingram didn't make much of a difference. CJ McCollum, bad game. But listen, I still think the future is very I still think the future is very bright in New Orleans. You got a ton of draft picks from the Lakers. You got your own picks. So uh don't blow it up. Don't feel like you gotta make a ton of changes. Um just you know, continue to draft and, and get pieces and I think the the Pelicans franchise is still okay. Uh, in the big scheme of things in the Western Conference. Listen, check out the barbershop on Clubhouse. Shout out to the big homie TP. Uh, prayers up. I heard you're going through something this week. So uh, prayers up to you. Uh, shout out to the villain Barry Jordan and the Jordan Foundation. Uh, shout out to Sirius as well. Controversy was on with us uh, a couple nights ago doing the NFL show. Chandler, man, it's always a pleasure and a privilege. I look forward to our roundtable gumbo on Thursday nights. We'll break this down again. Uh, next Thursday, join us on Sunday for the time of Sunday morning brunch. NFL show on Tuesday. We'll have probably another draft special. College cookout on Wednesday. Uh, as we say in Louisiana, man, laissez les bon temps And to quote the homie TP, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Peace. We out of here. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Yeah. Back, listen, enjoy the ride. Sip something, light it up, enjoy the ride.